0: Well, Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We're the show where we try to take the things that might bother you or you as a leader or business owner, and we try to break them down into common sense, bite-sized solutions that you can use. And uh, one of the other elements that I always l- want to bring out I was reminded of it. I was an, I had an opportunity earlier today to guest on somebody else's show, and one of the things we started talking about is the famous phrase, people join companies and they quit bosses, mm-hmm. and my passion in this world is to help you as a leader in your business not be one of those guys. <laughs> we, we don't want you to be the boss that people want to quit, rather we want you to be the leader that people can really gravitate to, relate to, and, and enjoy working for. So today we're possibly not going to talk quite as much about the leadership realm as we sometimes do, but rather Uh, My guest is an expert in the area of building customer loyalty and trust, and I thought that was a juicy topic that I think is very important to business leaders of, of all kinds, really. It doesn't matter if you're running a line of business for a large corporation in a predominantly B2B world. You still want loyalty from the people that buy from you, and you've got to work on that, but especially if you're running a small business, you've got to really stay focused on how do you build that loyalty and that trust with the customers you can attract. My guest is Natalie Oldfield. And Natalie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, it's great to be here, Doug.
0: We've got a little bit of a tradition here. I always like to ask my guests to share with us a little bit of backstory about your journey and how it was you got into this realm of of the work you do. So please, please share with us.
1: Well, um, the short story is I spent most of my career, about 25 years, working with different companies in the IT industry, always working sort of in the background, Doug, as marketing or communications, product management. And the last five, 10 years of my career, uh, I stepped into a different role and was much more curious about how customers decided to buy. And um, throughout my whole career, I was always invited to join customer meetings and ask questions. And I'm pretty curious, Doug. I love to find out what's most important to a customer and what's most important to someone. And so I got into the field of trust, if you will, about 15 years ago, because I was asked to take over the role of sales in a software company. And I really didn't want to do that, Doug, because I didn't want the accountability of being responsible for sales. And I had never done sales before. So I did not know how to do it. And my manager, the CEO said, well, you know, you're, you know, all the customers. And I did because I was always involved with asking about what they needed, what they wanted, what mattered most to them. And it went back and forth. And finally I said, sure. Okay, I'll do it. And then of course, when I said, okay, it was really bad timing for Natalie because The uh, whole environment changed. It was 2008, and people stopped buying. And in the business-to-business environment, people stopped going to hotels and convention centers, and that's primarily where we sold our software. So our sales decreased. The software-as-a-service contracts were asked to be put on hold, and I was like, oh, my gosh, here I am in this new job, and I don't even know what I'm going to do. And I was terrified because quite honestly, before that, you know, most of my career things had been just fine. And so I looked around and figured out, okay, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to learn sales? And I spoke to some of the people who I thought were the most successful in that area. And they just said, Natalie, just focus on what you already do, the customers and the relationships, And I did, and then I got the whole team to really focus on just providing as much value as we could to the customers. And the sales started going back up. I got so interested in how is it that customers decide to buy that I went back to graduate school the next year and did a master's degree and went in with the question of how is it in a business-to-business environment the customers decide to buy. And very quickly, my very first course, first term, I realized it all comes down to trust, Doug. It all comes down to trust. First, we decide to buy. Then we decide on a company's capabilities. Then we look at someone's offerings. And so fast forward, I completed my master's and my graduate research. And my whole thesis was on how to build manage and protect relationships of trust. And uh, I created a framework based on primary research and then a measurement tool because my whole career, I was always taught what you can manage, you can measure. So then I created a measurement tool that I call the Client Trust Index and a framework, which is a step-by-step process for people to follow to build relationships of trust. And it's all based on science and evidence and how we decide to trust. So, you know, I got so excited that I started teaching everybody I knew about this. And then I was seeing results because again, I created this framework while doing my graduate research and tested it out. And uh, then I eventually started Success Through Trust, my company, which is now 10 years old, and I teach people now full-time through workshops and group training programs and presentations, the step-by-step process of how to build trust. And as you know, uh, in between all that, I also wrote a book called The Power of Trust, How Top Companies Build, Manage, and Protect It. And uh, I'm now on a mission to help companies grow by helping them build relationships of trust with their customers.
0: I think that's such a powerful theme. Much has been studied and written about the fact that even in the B2B world, ultimate buying decisions are truthfully emotional decisions. They're not factual. They're not particularly data-based. <clears throat> the the analytics and the analysis and the uh evaluation might lead up to a decision but when it's all said and done it does become for everyone a, a, a fairly emotional choice yeah and if you think about it on one hand the the buying person probably reports to somebody they they either report to a you know, more senior manager, or they might report to a board, or ultimately, if it's publicly traded, they report to shareholders. So the things they buy and things they procure must perform to optimize the overall performance of the business. And when you get down to that signing the paper, you making the order, you can't help but think about your personal risk of you know i could lose my job if this is a bad deal so how do i how do i protect myself not just my business but how do i protect myself from making an error and we turn the page to look for that sense of trust and confidence that we're getting from our vendor or our person and it, it is a powerful force, but it's also, for many, it's a mysterious thing to try to figure out how do you really create that trust? If, if you're the one wanting to build it for your customers, you know, what are some of the first steps in your process as you go through that with client companies?
1: Well, I tried to take the mystery out of it. Uh... And I, I really believe, Doug. It's a great question that, that it it can be practical, and for some people, you some people do it quite naturally, and other folks, it's really a skill to learn, and it starts with inside a company having a culture of customer focus and a culture of trust. That's ultimately where it starts and having everyone in the company aligned with what is what is it that we're trying to achieve, what's our vision, what's our purpose. And then it's around having all the capabilities and the competencies that you say you're going to have. So if you're, you know, if you're a manufacturing company and you make widgets, it's that having all the machines and the people in place to actually make these widgets. And then really where the rubber hits the road, Doug, to build, manage, or create trust is around the cumulative interactions that you have. So trust really comes down to all these cumulative interactions with another person because we put trust in another person. And those can be broken down into three core components, how we communicate, how we behave, and how we serve. And I liken it often to a triangle. You can have three sides to a triangle, and they all have to be in place in order to have trust. And you know, you could be a great communicator as an example and service the customer really well or the client really well. But if your behavior is not walking the talk and or it's not with much sincerity or integrity, you don't have trust. I often say you can't communicate yourself out of a trust crisis. You can't, it's about behavior. And so it's really those main three components. And out of those components, I've created this framework, as I mentioned, and eight principles of trust. And these really are at the heart of how we decide to trust. So as an example, principle number one, is listen carefully with empathy and compassion, question and involve the other person in a conversation. Well, that is part of how we communicate. And and when we listen carefully, it's a form of respect, right? This is actually step one to building trust, is listening to really understand the other person's perspective, the other person's situation, and and that's, you know, where empathy comes into play and involving someone in a conversation or a decision that affects them. So that's step one.
0: You know, uh, let me camp on that a minute. So you, you packed a lot into that. And one of the things that it came to my mind as I was going through it or listening, the the idea of being able to build that culture in your own company where you're truly focused on that customer trust and that that forward-facing spirit of how you're going to operate and what went through my mind is i was introduced to an entrepreneur in denver who runs a plumbing company of all things residential plumber Uh, but he's he's worked hard he's built the business up and he's doing some amazing things with his team and yeah. some of what, where I think everything starts for him on, on the trust factor, <clears throat> he challenged his people individually once a quarter to review a personal vision board. You know, nice. where's your life going? Where's your family going? What might we be able to do here at the company to help fulfill those hopes and dreams for you? And he told this story, he had a, a, a new guy that came and joined him, it was um, some level of licensed plumber. So uh, point being, he had some experience and he was ready yeah. to join the team. Well, the first time he got invited to do the board, all he could think about was buying two new bicycles for his girls. Yeah. That was kind of the, the cap on his vision of, of, if, if he could, earn enough money and make this happen before some date. I don't know if it was a birthday or holiday, but that was his thing. That was what he was focused on. And the owners said to me, he said, you know, when I saw that other vision board, I knew we could crush that goal, (laughs) he said. He said, I have so many opportunities for these guys to make extra money along the way in the way we incentivize and the way we motivate and the way we do things. And he said, sure enough, it, it didn't take a month for the guy to, you know, yeah. earn the extra that he needed to buy those bicycles. And when that happened, he was in. I mean, it, yeah. the, the yeah. trust element just, you know, the lid for that one guy was, was blown through since then you know all the visions have gotten a little more sophisticated a little more um, aggressive or or bigger vision but well he's got his whole team oriented on that and it translates directly into how they treat their customers
1: 100 percent. and what i love about that story doug is that Every single company, whether you are a plumbing contractor or, you know, when you're in construction or you're in software, your technology, aerospace, it doesn't matter. Management, consulting, it all starts with the people and it all comes down to the people. So one of the terms that I use is critical trust risk point. And I really believe that for every single one of us, no matter what co- type of company or industry we're in, whether we have were a plumbing contractor or management consultant, the critical trust risk point is the people. This it starts at the top with the owner of the plumbing company who who asked everybody to share their vision. But really where the rubber hits the road, if you will, is how the employees, how the team interacts with the customer. And it's, it's about, you know, how they communicate with the customer. And when someone's motivated internally, right, I'm motivated to get some bicycles for my children, I'm motivated to do a good job, I, as the customer, experience that. And that comes out in the way that I communicate, the way that I behave, and the way that I serve customers we all know. I mean, I love that story so much because we all know what it feels like when someone has trust in their company. And we all know what it feels like when they're, someone's engaged and they're, they're building trust with us. And we know what it feels like when someone doesn't trust. Because us as the customers, whether it's on the B2B side or business to consumer side, we experience that impact.
0: Well, and and to carry that story a little further, what he's done with this company, and and I'll name the company, and and they're not a sponsor of my show, but uh, I just I just love the story, so I, I like sharing it. It's called High Five Plumbing, and they're in Denver, and so the name is a little bit of a play on you know Rocky Mountain High and all that good stuff. But it's also their their logo is a, a high five, you know, with a it's a hand with a number five in the middle of it, and one of their things, one of their differentiators, their goal is to make the house call, do the work, and then the technicians ask the homeowner, are you happy with the work we did and the way we did it? And if the owner says, yeah, yeah, y'all did a great job, and I, I really like it. So, and then they say, well, would you mind if we snap a picture doing a high five together?
1: Oh, that's fun.
0: <clears throat> and the way this plays out the the owner has a compensation program for the the techs who get the most photos during a month and and so there's an actual threshold there of being able to do that now but it's not just the happy accident that that works the other thing he provides as a company he does training three days a week for everybody. It's mandatory for everybody.
1: Wow! And
0: he said his peers in the industry say, are you nuts? You're taking your techs out of the field for that much time every week.
1: So impressive. And,
0: and he, but it's like an hour. It's not a huge, you know, half day thing, but it is mandatory. And one of the modules every week is about customer service mm-hmm. and, and being able to show up You know and part of the rule is they've got the equivalent of uniforms they have a little bit of a baseball theme going on they've got these baseball jersey looking tops and shirts for the guys to wear and everybody's got to be in a clean shirt clean hat clean boots you know all of Mm -hmm. that and and they're checked on that every day and So they show up, they're neat and tidy as best they can be. And obviously, as the day goes on, they get a little dirty in the work, the nature of the work. But they're encouraged to go clean up, you know, in the middle of the day. Don't don't show up at one o'clock with, you know, a a very nasty pair of overalls in in your shirt. You you need to change shirts if that's what it takes. We want clean and presentable.
1: Everything we do communicates something. Mm -hmm. Right. So our Mm -hmm. uniforms, the clothes we wear, you know, whether they're tidy or not, whether the pants are pressed or there's a stain from the coffee that you're in the truck, you know, everything we do. So, um, I'm impressed though, that they do so much training. And, um, I, I love hearing that because the people truly are. The critical trust risk point. So for any company, that's, that is how we are deciding on whether or not to trust. We can say at the top, you know, the CEO of a publicly traded company or of a small, medium business or a very tiny business, the owner or the CEO can say, you know, I want us to be all focused on the customer. However, really the, the experience for all of us comes with the frontline people, And in every business, it's different who are the frontline people. But those are the folks that really make the biggest impact because that's where primarily the client or the customer is making their decision on their trustworthiness. And it is a decision. We, We make a choice to decide to trust someone or a company.
0: Right. Well in in part of this goes back to what you said earlier you know again using this example they definitely measure everything they they measure the customer satisfaction scores they get they they look at the turnarounds they look at the callbacks they look at all of those things and those are metrics that are shared and They're not only measured from a management leadership standpoint, Mm -hmm. but they're actually bonused for good performance. So they they affirm and pay for the performance they're trying to direct among their people. Nice. And so it's not just hammering in a theme or a theory about how to go be a good plumber with the public, but... When you do it and you hit these numbers, you're gonna get more money in your paycheck. It's 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 a very direct, you know, cause and effect.
1: Yeah. Oftentimes people um you yeah. make me think of a question that, that that I get asked quite a bit. In fact, I was doing um a keynote speech last week in uh the Canadian Rockies and someone asked me, I was in a group of Uh, professional engineers and certified public accountants. And a lot of them asked me, you know, how do you measure? Like, how do you know about the trustworthiness? Are there any key performance indicators that we should be looking for that would be signals of either high trust or low trust? And so you just reminded me of that question. And one of the signals that I often see of low trustworthiness is that either you're not getting customer feedback, or the sales cycles are longer, or there are more customer complaints, or it takes a really long time to get sign-off on a project, let's say. Or, you know, people keep asking for things in writing uh, again and again. So those are indicators, I would say, of low customer trust and you mentioned some of the indicators of high trust like you know great scores on uh customer feedback survey would be an indicator another indicator would be customer retention and loyalty um you know we we know that it's a lot um more cost-effective for any business to keep a customer than it is to go get a new one. That's a, that is an that is an indicator to look for. And another one for all businesses might be referrals. So, you know, when we have high trust in a company or a product or a service, we often refer. In fact, there's a statistic that I like to share that 68% of us refer products and services of organizations we trust. And that's a worldwide statistic. And so if you think about those indicators of low trustworthiness versus high trustworthiness, now I often ask companies, okay, are these things happening in your organization? And what what are you looking at?
0: Right. Well I was talking to someone the other day about that and, and the whole idea of being able to refer people, there there's a, another human element in that, and that is if you have been the receiver of a a good quality service and now you think your provider is a high trust individual that can deliver for that, you almost become proud to be able to refer them to a friend or a family member who's in need because now you get the little gold star bonus points for knowing somebody that's reliable, dependable, trustworthy and capable and when you make that referral and then that person, your friend, your relation has that likewise positive experience with that person, it sort of gets in your trust bank of, yeah. you know, hey, Doug's a good guy to refer people. You know, he really knows some great people that are, are good providers. And it, it, it just has that snowball effect. Yeah. And yeah. to, to be that service provider or the seller of goods that can build that energy among your current customers, that, that referral element is a huge factor that really a, lot of, a lot of businesses struggle to cash in on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No referrals are huge. And, you know, there's a well-known statistic that came out years ago um, that when we increase customer retention rate by 5%, it can increase profits by 25 to 95%. And, um, you know, very similar to referrals. I mean, if you get more business from an existing customer, it it's so powerful. And, um, you know, one of the things that, i'm often i share with people is that the goal really is to become a trusted advisor and if you become a trusted advisor that's when you start to get these referrals dug right because if i'm if i'm a trusted advisor i i um you know my client is like you said very happy to refer when i'm a trusted advisor people want to do more business with you and so, the goal really in all customer relationships is to become the one that customers go to for advice for products. And it may not even be advice in your industry. So, you know, like you said, you know, you, you, who do we go to when we want to? Find out about a good product or a good service to use. We usually ask our ask our friends and our colleagues, right? And so, when you get a referral, it's so powerful. It's a great way to build your business through referrals.
0: You know, most people are keenly aware of uh, the remarks and feedback comments. Uh, You know, Amazon leveraged that uh, to the hilt. I mean it. You know, you buy something on Amazon, you're going to get asked to leave a review. And, and what do most of us now do when we're thinking about buying? We go read the reviews.
1: Of course. we, we go. My see. husband does that every single time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he goes deep. He goes yeah. really- Keep let's go straight. find
0: the ones and twos and figure out what they're saying about it. Yes. Fives are great. And that's wonderful. Okay. I see you're, you're yes. a four point nine on the scale. Wonderful. Good for you. Yeah. But what did the ones and twos say about your stuff? What, what are the, th- is there a common recurring theme? That's, you know, that's important to know. Yeah. So let me, let me shift gears a little bit before we get away. I, I, I do want to talk about the the downside what if you blow it what if you've got a customer situation and something happens which it will inevitably happen
1: oh yes
0: (laughs) how can you rebuild recapture or maintain the trust when a deal goes wrong
1: um it's a great question and so i i'll start with it depends how badly First of all, um, I actually, um, I'm actually working with a client right now who shared with me this morning and in, in a group. So I have a program called, uh, trusted advisor certification where folks come in and learn all the steps to build trust. We do it online. It's a group program. So there are people from a number of different companies and, um, we we talk about how to regain trust or rebuild it. Because to your point, Doug, it happens. None of us are perfect and we all make mistakes. Uh, however, um, this gentleman that uh, I'm working with, um, so I guess for his anonymity, I'll call him Edward. And he shared with us a couple of weeks ago that he was coming to this program with a challenge that someone on his team it used a really negative tone with a customer in a meeting. And Edward was really, uh, he's a senior salesperson, and he, uh, senior sales support person, he's a technical person. And uh, he was really upset and kind of embarrassed and thought, oh my gosh, like, how are we going to get around this? And then, you know, the salesperson that was kind of using a poor tone said, oh, don't worry about it. Well, then the customer called Edward and said, I don't want to deal with that person anymore. And if And if we have to, I'm just, I don't want to work with you guys. So Edward, the sales engineer, the sales technical person said, okay, you know, how do we rebuild this? And the advice that we gave to him is, first of all, own it. Admit to the fact
0: right. that
1: we made a mistake. That's the very first thing that I would say to anybody. Is and then respond in what I would call an empathetic way. Respond showing that you understand what happened and how they must feel, and then ask them about it. You know, how did it make you feel? And and very and do this as quickly as you can, Doug. Right? Anything that festers, not good. So as soon as it comes to your attention, deal with it. And um, what Edward did is he, he owned it. He did this very quickly. And he said, you know, how can we resolve this for you? Are, you know, the salesperson actually knows a lot about your account, he said. You know, I'd really like him to stay in the situation. Are you okay having a conversation with him? And the client said, well, yes, I am, but I really don't wanna be spoken to in that way. And so that's what I would do. And, and I share that example with you because it happens and none of us are perfect. And some of us have a bad day. And, you know, one of the things that I share with my clients is, you know, every day we have to be thinking about the fact that everything we do communicates a message and we don't really realize the impact we can have on someone. So we do have to make a very deliberate choice and an intentional choice to be building, protecting trust with people. And it is a choice. It's it's about deliberately applying the principles of trust in every single situation because people are assessing and reassessing all the time. We may say, okay, we have trust with a client now but it's time-based. So the model that I share with you all wrapped around that is time. I might trust you today, but next month, if you don't follow up or, you know, someone comes into the meeting with a poor tone, that's going to change my view, especially if I don't have a very well established relationship, right? So that's why I started with it it depends. Like, it's a great question. Like if I've known someone for a long time, or we have a very well-established relationship, you may be able to come to a meeting and someone have a poor tone. And if you have what I call, and I, I coined this term a long time ago, trust equity, you can get away with more. Because, you know, people know that what your intentions are good, and maybe you're just having a bad day, but if you don't have trust equity built up, it's harder to regain that trust sometimes. Right, <clears throat> and it, and it also depends on how big the mistake was, or how big the offense was, or what happened to have the breach of trust, right? I mean, tone is one thing and that's what Edward was dealing with. And But there are other things too, you know, dropping the ball on a deadline or having a project go sideways. I mean, it just, it depends, right?
0: Right. I, I had a guest on my show recently that told the story of a company that he was involved with that happened to be in the telecom industry and there was a service interruption and a, and a bad break. And one of the major hotel facilities in their region was impacted. And basically, so imagine a hotel losing their phone service for the bigger part of a day. Yeah. No new bookings, no new contact, no new communication, a lot of things going on. And he said when that got reported to him, and and he was chairman or CEO of the company, so he had, you know, the latitude, he gathered up. Uh, a couple of his execs, and they went down there to talk to the general manager of the hotel, and he said, first, let me say, we own this, to your point. Yeah. We we definitely caused the interruption. It's all on us. We're so very sorry. They handed him a check and said, here's a check for what we estimate might be the value to you of this particular time frame. Wow. And the potential revenue that was interrupted during that time. Not that you're never going to get it, but you know, there's mm-hmm. high probability there was some degree of loss there. We think this check will cover that. And then they began the dialogue of of how to do it. And when I heard that story, I thought to myself, you know, there is such a thing as the life value of the relationship. Yes. And you might you might be paid, you know, one order here, one order there, and you know, whatever your recurring cycle may be about. But often you've got to look at the life value of that relationship. And if one thing interrupts, right. Maybe you owe them a, a free pass on the next order or some discount on the next order. Be, yeah. Because, you know, they they were damaged in one way or another. Yeah. and you can't just say oh i i own it it's our bad so sorry it will never happen again kind of thing that might not be enough because yeah. if there was real you know significant uh, actual financial damage because of it you probably ought to pony up and and share yeah. part of that load
1: yeah yeah it, again it depends but i mean that's a that's a great example i i'm impressed actually that they did that Um, You know, at the end of the day, like I said, we all make mistakes. And actually one of the principles in my framework is if you make a mistake, fix it. Um, And, you know, I would add, fix it in a way that you're proud of, that is the right thing to do, right? And so it's about doing the right thing first, and then if you make a mistake. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, business leaders and consumers um, worldwide want to work with ethical, trusted companies. In fact, there's a statistic that came out um, quite recently, last last fall, by McKinsey that said like 87% of business leaders and consumers worldwide say ethical and trusted reputation is nearly as important as price and delivery in their buying decision. And there's lots of statistics that that show that. um, So trust really is a critical asset. In fact, I really believe it's the most important asset a company has. And having a customer-focused trust culture is the most critical thing a company can do to ensure its success. And when leaders focus on and business owners focus on building trust with customers and building a culture of trust internally, it, it's it's an indicator of future success. I, uh, totally. I actually, I have an assessment on um, my website, Doug, that you and your reader and your listeners are welcome to download complimentary, uh, I call it a team trust assessment. And really what it looks at, it just takes a minute to fill out. And um, it looks at and asks some questions around the trustworthiness and the customer focus of your team. And when you go through that assessment, it gives you kind of an idea of how you're doing with the focus on trust and the focus on the customer. So I welcome you to download that and have a look at that. And we'll give you some ideas of, of where and how to grow a business.
0: Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, Natalie, give us, give us the, the web address uh, where that resides.
1: Oh, my website is um, www.success.com through trust.com great uh you can also send me a message uh through linkedin i you can find me on linkedin at natalie doyle oldfield and i can send you the assessment that way as well
0: very good well, as always, folks, we're going to have that information down in the show notes, so you can click the links there live um, as you drop down. But I, I think with that, Natalie, that might be a good stopping point for us today. Thank you so much for sitting in and sharing this with us. This is uh, really good stuff. And again, thank you.
1: Thank you, Deb.
0: Well, like we said, folks, we'll have uh, Natalie's information in the show notes. You can hop down, uh, click her links, and get more information about her programs and things. And I, I, I want to put my own little exclamation point here. I, I do think the development and the building of trust is so vital, both internal to your company, the, the what you can do as a leader to build trust among your team, and the way that manifests itself in becoming, and I love your word that trusted advisor for your customers. And that is the best way to open that trust bank account and start making those really good deposits so that your customers realize that and appreciate that coming from you. Folks, we hope this was helpful. Uh, again, you can get a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, take a look at the archives and see if there's any topic that you've missed, would like to catch up on. Leave us a comment, give me a note about uh, ideas and thoughts for future episodes that you'd like to hear, or, or maybe guests you'd like to recommend, if you've got a colleague or friend or Maybe you yourself uh, think you might be a good guest for me. Just drop me a line. Let me know that. I would look forward to uh, hearing from you. With that, we're going to say goodbye. Go out there make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.